0: This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we find out what you, the listener, thought of this year's Christmas special. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Doctor Who podcast. It's been a week now since we've seen The Snowman for the very first time. I've seen it about two other times since and uh, I'm I'm hoping I've got a slightly better understanding or I appreciate it a little bit more than when I first saw it. Um, And I'm going to hopefully discuss my newly informed opinions with Ian. Hello,
1: Ian. Hello, James. Hello. What did you think of The Snowman? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great episode. Um... It's uh, uh, To me, it's less of a story and less about the villains and more of a character piece because I thought yeah. it was totally driven by the interaction between Clara and the Doctor. And I really, really loved that interaction. And of course, you had Strax and Vastra in there as well. Pr- primarily Strax. And it was the interaction of the different characters is what made this story. It wasn't about here's a threat and here's a plot device and moving around and doing that, uh, in my opinion, anyway. I absolutely love the character of Clara. I really, really enjoyed her when she was Oswin in Asylum of the Daleks. I thought she was the highlight of that story. And I thought exactly the same again now. Um, I just love the intelligence and the brightness that she brings to the role and the the positive uh, air that she's got, which I find in contrast to Amy, who I found so often to be a little bit dour and a bit cynical and to have a really bright energetic exciting companion who wants to go and do all these fun things I think is a real breath of fresh air and I really enjoyed that about this story. Mm, Yeah I think
0: Jenna Louise Coleman and indeed the characters that she plays uh, despite the fact we know very little about Clara at this moment in time have been getting an awful lot of positive feedback which is fantastic. I don't remember even reading or hearing a lukewarm review of uh, of, of her portrayal in the Snowman.
1: No, I've, I've, everyone I've uh, spoken to has, has really uh, well has, has either not mentioned it or said that she's very good. I've not heard any negative views at all. Um, mm. Where I did hear some negative views though was from my family about the story. Um, I watched it with my parents and my wife and one of my kids and indeed my brother and uh, sister-in-law. They weren't so hot on it. My wife thought that The Snowman was a lot of set pieces slung together with no particular rhyme or reason. My mum didn't particularly enjoy it. She thought it was a bit blur. uh, And she really enjoyed last year. She really enjoyed um, the, the wardrobe one. Uh, in fact, she thought that was the best Matt Smith story that she had seen. So <laughs> I, I, I do wonder, as we go into this anniversary year and Moffat has to try and steer that very careful line between making us fans happy and making the general uh, audience happy, um, and you can start to see here some of the classic Who bits being dropped in, and obviously deliberately dropped in, I do worry a little bit that uh, he's going to have to be very, very careful how far he turns that dial. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering... How far fandom opinion
0: has now moved away from the casual viewer, and uh, you know the Doctor Who fan inside of me really doesn't care. I mean, that's very, very selfish. Um, but I remember watching The Impossible Astronaut when most people who didn't know Doctor Who or and weren't that familiar with Matt Smith's Doctor either were very, very confused, and there was a big debate about whether Doctor Who is is eating itself and uh, whether or not we're making it so inaccessible. Once again, you know, not in a dissimilar way. Um, to the way the production team did in in the nineteen eighties, but I, I've got to say, at this moment in time in Doctor Who's history, I'm I'm loving what we're seeing on screen, and uh, I'm I'm very interested to hear though what listeners think. Um, you know, similar kind of experience. If you watch this. Episode with someone who isn't as into Doctor Who as you are, what did they make of it? I mean, Trevor made the, the comment uh, on our review show that his parents would probably have difficulty appreciating this episode of Doctor Who, despite the fact they're familiar with Doctor Who uh, of the past. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I think that would be some really good subject matter to get into in a future DWP. Before we get into hearing what you thought about the episode, dear listener got a little story to tell you now episode 180 as you know was tom trevor and i sitting around after just having watched the snowman for the very first time in my case and just shooting a breeze about that particular episode and what we thought of it What you didn't know, because we didn't tell you, was that there should have been four of us. And Leeson should have been there as well. And sadly, he experienced what he described as some technical difficulties. Now, he tried to dial in. He tried to join us, but failed. But fortunately, he left his recorder running. And this is what really happened. Hello and welcome to Well I suppose we've got to call The Christmas special of the Doctor Who podcast In the absence of any witty Hello? set of scripts this year Trevor? Your life has gotten away I'm afraid Tom uh, You've got three wise men James. talking about an hour's can worth you, of television. Can you see me? Screens at the time of recording.
2: Um, I'm here Hello why, why can't they see me? What in the name of Time and the Rani are you? Where did you come from?
3: I am a pan-dimensional, vortex-hopping, sentient time, Eddie. You, you can call me Eddie.
2: Uh, That's very very nice to meet you, Eddie. It's just, it's Boxing Day morning. I'm supposed to be recording the Doctor Who podcast. Uh, You know, we've all gathered in the camper van... Why, why, why can't they see me? You have become
3: trapped in my bosom, tiny human, and you will not be
2: released. You cannot escape, Eddie. But, but I'm still here and, and this is still being recorded, right? Correct. So I can just record uh, my thoughts here now and it could be played on on, on, the, on the feedback episode, couldn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have already arranged for Michelle to do feedback for the feedback episode There is no room for you, Leeson
2: <laughs> Nowhere to hide But I've, I've got loads to say I, I put myself a book face It's the first thing in the morning I was, We were all going to have some fun talking about the snowman It was really good
3: I can arrange for you to have your say, If that is your wish What's the catch? I can find a medium through which your thoughts on the snowman can be released if you pass one test.
2: I say again, what's the catch, Eddie?
3: It is fiendish and evil and almost impossible And what's the catch, Eddie? <laughs> there is no catch. <laughs>
2: Eddie, I've been watching Doctor Who long enough to know that anyone with a maniacal laugh like that uh, there's a catch, there's a catch attached there may be a small catch
3: I can see that you must describe your love of the snowmen using only one word
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's easy paragon
3: Oh, but, but, but uh, it's uh, supposed to... Uh, oh. hmm. That's quite a good choice, really. Hmm. Anyway, I shall return, Listen, You know not when, you know not where. I- it'll be here in the camper van. Ah, then I will return, and I will surprise you.
4: Ooh.
2: Quite clever this bit There's a uh, reference to the snowmen there and a uh, reference to Christmas Carol and the ghost
1: of Christmas. here. Yeah,
2: quite quite clever.
1: Well, that was certainly a little bit strange. I think there might possibly have been something in Leeson's Christmas Sherry. But uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on, we let's move to the first of our uh, listener feedback, which is from Andrew.
5: Hello, James, Leeson and Trevor. It's Andrew Backhouse here and hope you're all having a Merry Christmas. And this is my review of the 2012 Doctor Who Christmas Special, The Snowmen. I absolutely adored the episode I think it's hard not to really Lots of Christmas treats for a hardcore Doctor Who fan And people who had never seen the show before We had the reintroduction of the new companion uh, Of the Clara Oswin mystery Of the Paternoster gang Madame Madame Vastra, Jenny and Strax And the great intelligence And it just reaffirmed what Doctor Who was all about With a new title sequence, a new TARDIS I hope it's bringed in loads of brand new fans Who are going to love the show And enjoy it on the big 50th anniversary spectacular And uh, yeah I was watching the Christmas special With a living room full of family and friends and yeah, my auntie said afterwards, and to be fair, she is a Merlin fan. Uh, she said, uh, oddly enough, she said the story seemed like the ending was a bit rushed, like an English essay. You know, you're sitting down writing your English essay, keeping an eye on the clock, and then in the last five minutes, you've got to scribble down the final paragraph and wrap up the whole story. And it reminded me of your review of Cubed from, from the first half of the series last year. I don't think the snowmen felt like Cubed at all. But it did feel like as Matt Smith closed the door on Richard E Grant and his army of snowmen it felt like he was closing the door on the story really but I can totally forgive that with all the amazing things that were crammed into this episode. As a fan joining with the 2005 series I've seen every episode since and I've gone back to seeing some of the older episodes so I'm aware of who the great intelligence is, well as much as anybody else is and um, I'm excited to see where Moffat will take this in 2013. And I've no problem with fun being uh, poked at the Sontarans, because frankly... They've always been a bit silly. You know, I can't imagine anybody who watched the classic series and hid behind their sofa at a bunch of potato heads. And I think the dialogue Moffat wrote for Strax and the Doctor with the memory worm scene was comedy gold. And Dan Starkey's portrayal of an almost scrappy-do type character is really, really smart. For me, Strax was the star of the show, and I look forward to seeing more of him and the Paternoster gang when the series returns in 2013 but the absolute highlight for me of this Christmas special as always with Doctor Who Christmas specials is the trailer at the end it looks incredible it looks gothic it looks cinematic and yeah Doctor Who in 2013 I think it's going to be the biggest year for Doctor Who yet. Andrew Backhouse reporting for the Doctor Who podcast and back to you guys in the camper van. OK, thank you for that,
1: Andrew. Um, interesting that your auntie thought the ending was a little bit rushed and perhaps echoes of what I found that uh, the more casual sort of family people around uh, the, the TV did, t- to my mind, don't seem to have been quite as um, engaged with this as us fans. But, uh Uh, As with the rest of us, Andrew seems to have really enjoyed it. And I have to agree with him that, uh, that there's clearly the seas now being set up here for what is the anniversary year and and some big events that are happening, and you can see some of the sort of the elements dropping in uh, in, in sort of anticipation of that.
0: Yeah, there a couple of things that I wanted to to, to mention as well, and uh, I I think right, it, it's 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 great to hear that you've got some fans of the new series going back and uh, and picking out some stories in the classic era to watch and and really really getting into the show that way, but. Sontarans had not always been silly potato heads, Andrew. They really haven't. Um, you're going to need to go back and watch something called The Time Warrior. And uh, I think that would give you a very good idea of the original concept. Robert Holmes, the writer who created the Sontarans uh, for that story, give you a very good idea of what he had in mind to start with. And you can see how far the whole idea of the Sontarans has has moved or away from that initial idea. As I said, if you watch, if if you watch either a Good Man Goes to War or indeed The Snowmen, I don't think it um it it destroys your enjoyment, and it certainly didn't detract from mine. But it does seem to me that Strax is uh, an anomaly. He's he's uh, a rogue Sontaran who's not only extremely mentally challenged um, but he's, he's been deliberately designed for uh, for comic relief in the episode but I would suggest that you go back take a look at the original concept of the Sontarans and that'll give you a really good picture of uh, of, of how they came about and, um, and and where they are now too in comparison
1: I think that in modern Who the Sontarans have always been comedy potato heads I think even going back to the Poison Sky and the Sontaran Stratagem I, I struggle to see them as being a credible you know, a threat to, to the world. Um, I think in the old Who days, you could get away a little bit more with man in suit with funny helmet. Uh, in modern Who, I don't think it flies quite so well, particularly not potato-headed uh, men in suit. So I suspect that the reason that they've gone down a bit of a comedy line with the Sontarans is that I don't think they work so well in the modern series. They, I agree with you that they were a threat in the old series, but I think times have moved on. Um, as for Strax himself, he's inherently conflicted. You know, The Doctor did something to him. I mean, back in Good Man Goes to War, there was this suggestion that there was some deal with the Doctor that for punishment he was going to be uh, a nurse. Um, and we don't know what the backstory is there, but clearly the Doctor has forced this on Taran to behave out of type, and that makes him in a very conflicted character, and it's that conflict that's the funny. That's where the, all the, the, the comedy's coming from. I wouldn't necessarily say he's stupid. I don't think any of the Centaurans strike me as being Albert Einstein. But when you take um, a not massively intelligent character and do this weird conflict to them, I think this is what you get. And I'm, I'm quite happy with Strax and I enjoy seeing him on, on the screen so much. and I enjoy his interactions with the Doctor so much that I'm prepared to hand wave all kinds of excuses and reasons as to what's happening just so I can enjoy more of it. Yeah, I mean I enjoy his portrayal certainly, but he is thick, Ian. Uh, there's no
0: question. I mean you look in The Snowman, there are so many incidents where he's he's just he comes he comes out with very, very silly lines. And as I said, I, I don't have a major problem about it, or I don't have a major problem with it, but um as as to whether or not it's impossible to have a story featuring Sontarans as a fairly serious alien, I'm I'm not so sure. And I think this this um it's mentioned in another point that Andrew raises towards the end, and that was, well, first of all, he says that the best thing about this episode was the trailer at the end, which is slightly concerning if you enjoyed a trailer far more than the actual episode you've just seen. Um, but there are Sontarans in that trailer, and they don't look comedic in nature to me. I mean, I realise you only get a, a couple of seconds, but um, I'm wondering whether or not part two of season seven is going to show us a serious or a reasonably straight Sontaran story. And if, if that's the case, then we'll be able to see you know, how good they can be in the modern era. Well,
1: let's wait and see. I think also that our, our next listener has also had uh, some similar thoughts about uh, the, the conversation you guys had last week about Sontarans. Uh, mm. And that's from Samuel.
6: Hey there, Dr. Who Podcast. This is Samuel Lewis from TSCN.TV. I just wanted to send some feedback on The Snowman. A lot of my thoughts are going to echo yours, so I won't repeat a lot of them other than the ones that really stick out in my mind. Funnily enough, I think the story was a background. It was just to introduce us to a whole lot of things. Um, The title sequence, whenever Matt Smith's face showed up, I nearly fell over. It was fantastic. I'm a fan that started with New Who, and got into Classic Who, so it's nice to sort of see a merge point finally happen between the two, just with that face. The console room is fantastic. If you look on the left side of the console, the part I noticed was that big round screen thing on the panel itself. It actually looks like a part of Tom Baker's console, and I don't think they screwed up on that. I think they did that on purpose, obviously. They're they're clear that it's the 50th anniversary, and they intend to make all sorts of homages as they possibly can. As for the treating of the Santarans issue that's showed up several times, funnily enough, you've got to keep in mind that it is just one Santaran that we are looking at. There's only been one Santaran since Stephen Moffat has come back, other than the one that showed up during the Pandorica, and that one seemed like a proper Santaran. So especially considering I'm looking at the trailer and it doesn't look like that Strax in the full suit of armor. And if it's not, that means we may be getting a full-blown Sontaran story. Now, if that happens, then we will get to see what Stephen Moffat does with the Sontarans and whether or not he just made Strax an idiot, which I think is actually more likely than making all the Sontarans that way. So, give Moffat a chance in this one. And... I'm looking forward to seeing what he could do with Sontarans. So anyway, love the podcast as usual, guys. Yes,
0: thank you, Samuel. Wonderful piece of feedback. And I have to say, I think this is probably... Um, the best commentary on strax and santarans i 've heard so far um, I, I like the idea that strax is is just you know a one off for whatever reason it could have been to you know for the reasons that you and i 'm sure it is for the reasons you alluded to earlier Ian uh, about him being in the doctor 's debt, uh, but I also think there's probably something gone wrong in that in that gene pool um, but we'll we 'll have to wait and see but yeah, something else you mentioned as well Ian at the beginning of um, the beginning of this podcast and that's that the story here is fairly secondary and that echoes exactly what Trevor said last week and the the main emphasis here is the character interaction between a Doctor and and Clara and to a degree the um, pattern... I'm never going to say that word, what is it Ian? Paternoster. That's it, thank you very much. That crowd um, i i th- I think this story was all about character um and i I love the way that they 've got Richard E grant um with practically zero character at all to to act as a bit of a um a conflict or a contrast to 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 the general tone of this story but uh, as, as far as i 'm concerned yes it was a, it was an extremely strong episode uh,
1: in terms of character development. I've got to agree also about the new console, um, which, uh, as everyone has observed, is very old school, and I'm really, really loving the new console. I have to agree a little bit with what you guys were saying last week, that for all they looked gorgeous, the the modern era consoles with all the sort of sticky-on bits and bits of junk, it was a nice idea, but it doesn't make a huge amount of sense, and... um, To go back to what was the the more scientific looking console and something that you think someone would actually have seriously designed to steer a ship, I'm I'm enjoying seeing that. I also think that this is a very deliberate step that one way or the other in the anniversary year we're going to see the old TARDIS console rooms, even if it's just in documentaries, although I suspect we'll see it in more than just that. And by designing the modern console this way, it makes a lovely doorway for modern Who fans who've never seen any classic Who to understand why the, the old console room looks the way it does and to sort of link the two and make the transition easier for them.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure whether or not we'll get to see the old... Console room again. Um, of course, within the Doctor's wife, you got to see pretty much an entire panel of, uh, well, I guess what you would describe as um, the old school T- Tardis. You know that um, could have been the fourth, fifth, or sixth Doctor's or seventh Doctor's Tardis. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do quite like the minimalist feel. I, I, I said really in the last podcast, the only thing I didn't like was the revolving carousel thing at the top. But uh, again, looking at this through. Um, someone who hasn't got the history uh, with um, with with Doctor Who, they're not aware of what's gone past. Would they see this as a, a step back in terms of um, you know simplicity? Because the set is very bland and it is almost in keeping with modern day sci-fi programmes.
1: Um, I, I don't think that uh, it'll be a huge jar to to modern viewers. Uh, I think it's just a the progression they've gone from one to the other and um, yeah, uh, we, we went to the sort of uh, very complex two-level thing with the uh, the steampunk TARDIS and this goes back a little bit simpler although I think there's still a gantry around uh, the outside. Yes, there is, yeah. um, I don't think that they'll particularly raise an eyebrow about it. I think it's only us uh, old Who fans who look at and think oh I can see a little bit of Tom Baker's console in there <laughs> that are going to read yeah. more into this than, than they will.
0: Okay, moving on to a more familiar voice now, we get to hear what Michelle thought about the snowman. Take it away, Michelle.
7: Hello, James. Hello, Ian. Sorry I can't be with you. Tis the season to visit in-laws, I'm afraid, but uh, I'll be thinking of you and let me take this chance to wish you and all of the Doctor Who podcast listeners a fantastic 2013. It's going to be great in the world of Doctor Who. Speaking of which, let's talk about the uh, Christmas special a little bit here. Right off the bat, I liked the opening sequence. In fact, I watched this with my son snuggled right up beside me, which is the best way to watch a Doctor Who Christmas special. He didn't know there were going to be new opening titles, and it caught him by surprise, and he was absolutely delighted. He was so excited that they had changed, and he said, they're awesome! His favorite part, I think, is the end where the TARDIS doors open onto the story itself. So, who am I to argue I'll also uh, say that I I think I like the the new TARDIS redesign. In the last episode, you mentioned the circles above the console that rotate. Somebody mentioned uh, not caring for them because it reminded them of a carousel. Interesting image uh, related to this Christmas special because the snowman had such a strong vibe of Mary Poppins running through it. And um, a carousel is one of the things that uh, features. There's so many images in this. That relate to, to Mary Poppins. Of course, Clara is such a Mary Poppins character. I mean, you have a governess who teaches a, a distant father how to love his children, one of the main themes of Mary Poppins. She spends her downtime hanging out with the, the lower classes. I didn't exactly dance with chimney sweeps, but we weren't too far off there as the barmaid. She uses an umbrella to rise up into the sky, albeit with the help of a of a ladder. This is interesting. It's going to lead me into... Probably the first kooky theory of the week that I have ever proposed, but bear with me on this one. There's been speculation about the possibility someday uh, of a female doctor. I would submit that if you were to search literature for a female character that uh, sort of was the equivalent of a female doctor, you could do worse than look at Mary Poppins. You know, you have a character that's witty and clever and that sweeps in and solves other people's problems and then flies off uh, into the stratosphere, uh, up into the clouds, not unlike our, our doctor here. But it got me thinking when, when we saw that Clara's birthday was November 23rd, then my mind started speculating. I mean, for instance you know, here we have this Oswin Oswald character who has several representations or perhaps incarnations scattered throughout time and space. And by the way, let me give a little nod to uh, James, a different James from the 49 Up podcast, uh, which is a new podcast uh, that has just gotten started by a couple of Doctor Who podcast forum members who connected via our forums and are are now producing a, a a podcast in honor of the uh, anniversary year. But that James uh, commented, gosh, it must have been a month ago on, on their very first episode about his, his kooky theory that Oswin Oswald was going to be like Scaroth from City of Death and, and be uh, splintered into pieces throughout time and space. But here you've got this character that appears in different points in time and space. Boy, she's got to be at least as clever, if not maybe cleverer, than the Doctor himself. And there's kind of a a fun line in in the Christmas special where they are running away from the Ice Woman and Clara grabs the Doctor's hand and drags him down the corridor and the Doctor is complaining. He says, I do the hand grab, that's always me. So uh, do I really think that Clara's going to turn out to be the 12th incarnation of the Doctor. No, that's what it makes it a cookie theory. Hey, I've never provided a cookie theory before, so I thought it might be time to venture out on thin ice. But, uh, yeah, there you have it. At any rate, I think Clara is a wonderful partner for the Doctor, certainly a, a worthy companion. That really is my favorite part about this Christmas special, is the character of, of Clara the interaction with the doctor, and the way they set the seeds for the the mystery to come. My favorite sequences in the the show involved her. I love the two scenes up in the clouds. That first sequence where she runs around the outside of the TARDIS while the doctor is opposite her was such a tease. I thought for sure she was going to go into the TARDIS and then be all cocky when he came in after her. But no, of course, she runs back down the ladder. There were a couple elements that I wasn't excited about. I don't think uh, the villain... Uh, And in this case, I'm talking about the Great Intelligence. Um, I don't think it worked as well for me as it could have. I was a little disappointed in the snow globe prop. Maybe they took the budget and used it on the remodel of the TARDIS and saved it on the snow globe. But I, I didn't find that tremendously convincing or tremendously scary. Minor niggles, minor niggles. You know, if Tom asked if this was a hit or if this was a miss. I'd definitely say this was a hit as far as Christmas specials go. I wonder if this is the beginning of a pattern that we'll see throughout the upcoming season, where perhaps each story features an element from one of the past doctors, not necessarily the doctor uh, themselves or the actor themselves, but, you know, perhaps a villain or something that's particularly characteristic of that doctor's era. Uh, That could be one way that they choose to celebrate the anniversary year, so have to watch as it unfolds
0: wonderful thank you michelle that's a really interesting analysis of the show i, I think we can summarize it in, in in a couple of things mary poppins yes without a shadow of a doubt and i mentioned that on um on, on episode 180 uh, when we were reviewing the snowman i didn't extend the analogy to the carousel with the horses of course within the tardis but i guess that is perfectly valid. uh uh, cloud scenes Again I will always associate with, uh, with with Mary Poppins And Jenna Louise Coleman had the umbrella So yes there were an incredible number of, of Mary Poppins references here I hadn't actually
1: picked up on it quite so strongly When watching but in retrospect Yes I can very much see the, the vibe through it And it certainly felt familiar when I was watching But I hadn't put the name to it So I, I think you're both onto something there mm. um, I did also love Michelle's kooky theory About the Clara perhaps being the Doctor uh, I, don't, I don't believe it. Um, but I'm fascinated to see uh, wh- where we're going here. Uh, my, my original thought was that um, Clara would turn out to be Oswin. And in that uh, respect, I'm kind of right. But equally, I thought that um, Oswin was going to survive somehow, and that seems to not be the case. I was mm. genuinely shocked in this episode when Clara died and stayed dead. Uh, a, because it's a very bold, dramatic choice to make on a Christmas special with kids watching... Um, But also it it puts a very sort of final sort of nail in the coffin, uh, so to speak, on Oswin from Asylum that clearly that character is dead as well. But then we've seen a third version in what looked like modern day uh, uh, Earth uh, looking at her own gravestone. It's like there's something very odd going on here. Um, And perhaps this idea of the Scaroth is is, is where it will be. That's that's my theory now. It's the Scaroth, really. It's the
0: Scaroth's wife. (laughs) Yeah, and, and Michelle alluded to that as well. And uh, there was someone on our forum, I think, who who postulated that after the um, after seeing Asylum of the Daleks, and yeah, it, it, it's possible. I, I think we're probably latching on to the most obvious thing. I mean, Bad Wolf came to mind for me, but uh, I I don't know. I don't think Moffat will retread something as as obvious as that. Um, I do think it's quite a brave move, certainly uh, killing off a character. Who we we know the actress portraying her is going to return for the next seven or eight shows. You know, I I I think that's quite brave. And there's no way that I think this character Clara Oswin or whoever can be killed in every episode because I just think there's going to be stretching. The bounds of credibility. So I think we're still at the very beginning of this story, whatever it's going to turn out to be. But I wonder, um, you know, it is going to be concluded, I'm certain, towards the end of season seven, um, which will coincide with the actual anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the show. Um, but I don't think for a second she is a female version of the doctor, so no nice, nice idea michelle and this this is something actually that Doctor Who fans do a lot when there's a mysterious character like Riversong, for instance. I mean, you get theories. Riversong was Captain Jack. Riversong was Romano. Riversong was the Seti that we saw in last week's episode. And I think we've started to see the same thing with Clara. We've got another similar theory uh, coming up in another piece of feedback shortly. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, female doctor, that's a whole separate issue. But do I think Clara is the 12th incarnation of the
1: Doctor? No. And I don't think Michelle does really either. <laughs> I, there's something. There is something definitely else to go on here, though, because both Oswin and particularly Clara were far smarter and more savvy. And in, Clara, in this story, was drawn to the Doctor. Unnaturally drawn. There, there's something there. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering. Things like, does she have a pocket watch or something like that? That there, there, there's, there's something going on here before any of these characters arrived in this, the locations we're seeing them. Um and but I think that the next version of Clara we see, who it looks like is gonna be from modern day earth, I think that'll be the keeper. I think that'll be the companion for the series going forward. But I think you could be right that'll be a while before we get a resolution as to what's going well, you know Moffat, he's he's gonna tease it to us in little bits and pieces and hatches and screens and goodness knows what uh before we find out what the the real story is here.
0: Yeah, precisely. As
1: he should do as
0: well. I mean I like the way Moffat tells stories. I know not everybody does, but I like the way that it's drawn out slowly and that you you know it does seem to be planned from the start uh, which uh, i i do respect any writer for doing um, for having a long term plan like that that's that must be really quite tough uh, to you know translate from your brain into a series of scripts over a period of years you know that's uh, that's a heck of a talent there anyway something michelle did mention uh, during her feedback was a new podcast that sprung up and of course we wouldn't normally talk about a new podcast on the dwp but it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Doctor Who podcast. There's a new show called 49 Up. James is one of the hosts on it and he met his co-hosts ...on the Doctor Who podcast forum, as Michelle said, and that's that's George. And I think they're up to about their third or fourth episode now. So by all means, go go onto our forum, check out how the podcast came into being and, and, and take a listen. And this is a piece of feedback from one of the hosts, James.
8: Hi guys at the DWP, this is DW934 from the forums and James from the 49 Up podcast. Check out our podcast at forty nine at podcast dot weebly dot com, and I'm here to give you uh, my review, my feelings on the 2012 Christmas special, The Snowman. Overall, I think it was a very good episode. It uh, introduced Clara with uh, a lot of affection for the Doctor in terms of. Uh, a curious character who wanted to explore what this man who had just popped up, walking by a snowman, that wanted to see what what his life was like, um, got off to a great start with the double life being the barmaid and the governess of the uh, of the uh, Captain Latimer's uh, children. Um, Interesting use of H.D. Grant as the child at the very start who grew up to be a servant of the snow, snowman itself. Uh, um, the new TARDIS was very fancy, very cool. Um, the new title sequence, the new theme tune, I absolutely adored and I can't wait for that to be used in the new series in spring. Um the snowmen were a great enemy, I think. Uh, it was still menacing, very scary to those who, who obviously do their own snowmen. Um, but uh, two ma- two minor things that uh, obviously everyone's going to be talking about. I say One thing is a bit of a contradiction to how the Doctor knows about the Great Intelligence because uh, it, it was a bit confusing to see how the Doctor had um, presented a... Lunchbox with the map of the underground on saying, oh, this is a st- strategical uh, disadvantage. And then later in the episode, when the uh, Great Intelligence is defeated, he looks at the business card and says, Great Intelligence, that reminds me of something. As though he doesn't know it's the Great Intelligence. Does he know it's the Great Intelligence or does he not? And then if he did know before he came to defeat them, then why did he... Uh, if he didn't know, why did he show the underground um, picture if he, if he didn't know that it was going to be the Yetis in the underground? So I'm wondering whether Moffat got a bit confused in the ordering of that or not. So is that is that confusing to say that he didn't know that it was the Great Intelligence until he saw what was written on the business card? Or did he know? Or is it a bit of a confused plot? And the other thing is, um, I was really intrigued by the ending where we find out that uh, Clara Oswin Oswald is both the person in Victorian England and in Asylum of the Daleks, and it does make sense that how her name was that, because uh, when she introduced herself to the Doctor at the start of Asylum of the Daleks, she did say that she was like uh, Pilot Oswin Oswald. Or private, whether it's Oswin Oswald or whatever, and I mean, if it was a second name, then obviously she was saying that as the whole second name, instead of someone thinking that Oswin was her first name and Oswald was her second name, so obviously she didn't mention the word name Clara, so that was a bit of a way for Moffat to steer clear of revealing the secret too early. So that's my two cents on the snowman. Uh, hopefully you guys can check out my full review with my co-hosts, George Machin and Live Hathaway on the 49 Up podcast. But thanks again, guys, and hope to hear what your thoughts are.
1: So James talked there about the underground map and the great intelligence and the, some of the things that you were discussing last week of what's the timeline here and how does it work. I think it's all completely consistent because... When I was watching it, my assumption was that at the time when the doctor ran into the TARDIS and grabbed the tin, he hadn't clocked who the great who he was facing yet, and he grabbed the first thing that came to hand. I don't think there was any actual significance to the tin other than he grabbed something that he could wave uh, at the the foe to try and confuse them. Um, I think, and I think when later on he. He sort of couldn't quite remember about the great intelligence. It was seven or eight hundred years ago, and the universe has been recessed at least two or three times in between. I think he can be forgiven a little bit of forgetfulness. And I think what you then have is the great intelligence floating around on Earth uh, in the 18, 60 something uh, set up to go off to Tibet and have the abominable uh, snowmen story and then afterwards go down to the the underground and meet the second doctor there so i i think it actually all works entirely consistently i don't think there's any particular problem there
0: I, I think if you accept coincidence upon coincidence then yes it does and it is something i picked up on after watching it i thought the doctor had realized who he was dealing with when he was waving his lunchbox around if you excuse the uh the phraseology there but uh I I think James, listening to your feedback after I recorded the review show, um, I I I think I backed down a little bit too quickly um, when I was having this conversation with Trevor. Um, but having said that, Ian, I I also buy you know your version of events, and I think ultimately it doesn't really matter hugely. Um, I, I don't really buy the Doctor being forgetful uh, for a couple of reasons. One, yes, he's very old, but all Time Lords are old, and they do have uh, the ability to go back and check things via the Matrix, or they did up until Gallifrey was uh, was destroyed. But I, I, I also think it's far too a convenient a plot contrivance to have the Doctor go, well, you know, I was only in my second incarnation then, I can't be expected to remember stuff. Going back a thousand years or so, I I think that's a little bit too easy for writers to fall back on, and not only that, you know, we, we're trying to assess and view Time Lords in human terms, and yeah, a thousand years for a human would be a very long time, but it's not, you know. And a doctor draws um, very distinct differences uh, when describing the Time Lord race to his companions or other characters in in many stories, saying, "Look, we're not like you," and and I can't think. He's going to say, well, one of the things that we have got in common is that we can't really remember more than about 80 years without our memories starting to fail. So I I think that's pushing it a little
1: bit, I have to say. I I think if you step back a little bit from this and look at it from Moffat's perspective, I mean, what he's doing here is he's playing one of his timey-wimey games, but using the classic show to do so, and a a, a fan favourite to boot. And that's a lovely thing for him to have done. I think by having the Doctor a little bit forgetful at the end it allows him to very neatly tie off that little timey-wimey loop without the Doctor having to drop into a load of exposition about his previous adventures which would have just clunked like a lead balloon at that point in the show and lost all the modern viewers and it's I think it's a little bit sort of a a plot artifice to let him move on.
0: Yeah possibly I don't think he should have explained everything Uh, what, what I do think is a really interesting concept is does or do the events in the snowman
1: actually make the abominable snowman happen? <laughs> I, I think so. think that's exactly what Moffat has done is he's created one of his little timey-wimey loops where it's because of the Doctor and how he chose to defeat the great intelligence in this instance that um, we then have him go after Tibet and doing a not dissimilar story there and then down into the London Underground in, and using uh, the London Underground map, which means that in a very convoluted way, the Doctor has almost created unit now so <laughs> goodness me you really do need to be of
0: great intelligence to get your head around that one but uh, but yeah I mean ultimately I really enjoyed the great intelligence his presence in this story I think it was used quite well uh yeah you know I had to go back and think well when did he actually realize he was you know he knew who he was dealing with and I think I think you're right Ian I think it is towards the end of the episode not when he started uh challenging Simeon in his office um but yeah, Simeon as well. I mean, he's an interesting character, and uh, and James mentions him a little bit here as well, particularly in his childhood. Um, and and I don't like the idea of of having a, a an orphan or someone who's very isolated as as a child grow up to become evil or a villain. And 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 that's used a lot, not just within Doctor Who, but certainly within other um, other stories as well. Well, it's
1: not a huge uh, distance away from Kazran. A couple of years ago, exactly, in the Christmas yeah. Carol, so it it is a little bit of a Christmas trope of sort of the the the, the Scrooge-like humbug loner. So you, you can see why people reach for it as a, as a touchstone in these stories. I
0: suppose so. I suppose so. I just doesn't seem to be very many stories of uh, someone in similar circumstances becoming a, 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 a force for goods in the universe. And, um, you know, that that's probably makes for a far less interesting story, perhaps. There you go. We're going to hear from Steve. Take it away, Steve. Hello,
9: guys. This is Steve from Bournemouth. And this is my first piece of feedback to you all. So I feel a bit of a feedback virgin. Firstly, I'd like to say how much I enjoy the Doctor Who podcast. I listen to it on the iPhone whilst I'm cleaning my flat and it keeps me very entertained. So thank you. The Snowman, what a great episode! Like you mentioned in your review, this is New Who as close to Classic Who as it has ever been. From the titles and the new version of the theme, it was excellent to hear the da 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 back. To the revamped TARDIS, the experience nearly brought a tear to my eye. Anyway, to avoid getting emotional once again, I'll move on to the main point that I wanted to make in this feedback, which you may think is worthy of being...
0: Cookie Theory
4: Of
1: the Week
9: Clara Oswin appears in Asylum of the Daleks and then disappears again, only to reappear in The Snowmen. Early on in the episode, Clara spots the doctor through a window and starts waving to him. He responds with a sheepish wave back. Clara tracks the doctor down with relative ease, despite the doctor's musings to Madame Vastra that this is nigh on impossible. When the doctor and Clara climb the ladder to escape from the ice governess on the roof, she tells the doctor to go first, saying, I'm wearing a dress, ice front soldier. Does this sound familiar? Donna Noble appears in The Runaway Bride and then disappears again, only to reappear in Partners in Crime. Early on in that episode, Donna tracks the Doctor down with relative ease, even though he finds the situation highly unlikely. And her first encounter with him is to start waving to him through a window. I'm wearing a dress, eyes front, soldier, is exactly the sort of thing that Donna Noble would say. My hypothesis is this. Clara Oswin is... In a timey-wimey way, a future version of Donna Noble. Well, here's hoping.
1: Well, from from one kooky theory of uh, Clara being uh, the Doctor, uh, we now have Clara being uh, Donna, or possibly the Doctor Donna. Um, I think yes. th- I think this one's a little bit further down the scale of kookiness. Um, so I, I don't think I would uh, hold your breath too hard on that one.
0: No, I I would agree, and this was the piece of feedback I had in mind when I was talking about um, Michelle's comments earlier. And yeah, I I simply don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I I think it, it's very astute of you, Steve, to pick out all of those comparisons. And yeah, because I I hadn't. I mean, I you're absolutely right. The the, the way the tenth Doctor meets up again with. Donna in Partners in Crime, after the Runaway Bride, you know, is is similar. You know, he comes back in, he meets another companion. That's exactly what he's done with Oswin. There's a little bit more intrigue here, and I also think it was planned. Um, whereas Russell T Davies, when he wrote the Runaway Bride, had no idea that Catherine Tate would be returning. Um, that the phrase "eyes front soldier," yeah, I mean, that's that is something you can hear Donna say, but uh, it was also mentioned by Amy um, in in the Girl Who Waited. So we've seen that piece of dialogue um, come up at least twice uh, and possibly on three occasions as well. But having said that, you know, I, I don't want this to, to put you, the listener, off sending, sending in your kooky theories. Who precisely is Oswin? What is going on? Is it a, a jaggeroth Scarrow thing, uh, as, as Tom suggested last week? Or is it a case that she could be part or a character or part of a character uh, from the Doctor's past making a reappearance?
1: Um, and if, we, if we're going to pick up on some of these lines, the, the, the other line that Clara came out with that I was very reminded of is again around the time of the, the eyes front soldier line, is where she pointedly refused to look away when Matt Smith went ahead of her up the ladder and, and stood there staring, which immediately brought to mind Amy refusing to look away from the doctor when he was changing in the 11th hour. So, no, very true. So, there we yeah. go. Clara is actually Amy.
0: No, there we go. Clara is Amy. I like that one too. That works. (laughs) Let's move on to our next piece of feedback and this is from Nick.
4: I'm Nick from Norfolk and this is my feedback on The Snowmen. As a new Who fan that's gone back and fallen in love with the classic series, I totally loved the new title sequence, the face in the titles being a highlight. I loved the new retro TARDIS interior and I loved this episode. Matt Smith as always was incredible showing that you can mourn the loss of your best friends without having to drown arachnus on crying in front of a granddad. jenna louise coleman was magnificent i was hoping for a, a male companion after amy and rory's departure but jenna's performance made me forget my wish almost instantaneously although i could have done without the kiss strax was irritating but worked within within the sixty minutes and vastra and jenny was bizarre but again worked quite well Richard e. grant was fantastic but criminally underused and the hark back to the Troughton stories was truly wonderful, with, with goosebumps everywhere. All, all in all, this is the best Christmas special by far, and the second best companion introduction, I still love the 11th hour. I'm extremely excited about Series 7B, and I could have sworn I spotted Ace on in, in the next time trailer, and we all know about Game and Cybermen. On a cookie theory note, before Amy and Rory bit the dust in Angel State Manhattan, that the Doctor and River were painting the outside of the TARDIS. But the first time that we see it in The Snowman, it's totally battered. I'm really hoping it's a possible moffat type thing. Really, really hope so.
0: Wonderful piece of feedback. Thank you very much indeed, Nick. Yes, I completely forgotten. In The Angels Take Manhattan, we see the Doctor and River painting the TARDIS. So they're actually sprucing it up a little bit towards the end of the episode. And when we see the TARDIS in The Snowman, the very next episode it's rather battered now again I mentioned this briefly last week but I didn't really expand on it hugely I'm beginning to wonder whether or not there really is a bit of a story to tell here what has happened to that TARDIS to make it a little bit more bashed up since we saw it last time Um, is is it just a case that the doctor has been living on a cloud and it's got dirty after having lots of condensation occur all around it Or is there a story to tell that resulted in the TARDIS interior having to change once again
1: that we haven't seen yet? I'm a little bit confused by all the controversy that's popped up around this because I've got got to go and review all the episodes concerned here in true fan fashion to check this. But at the end of uh, Angels Take Manhattan, the TARDIS was all bashed up because it had been bouncing off of the time walls or whatever they were. And indeed, there was the line where... Uh, River was saying that Amy and Rory would have to stand around all day while um, the Doctor repaired the TARDIS. Um, so, And yes, they, they they were starting to paint, but my assumption for the whole reason is a new console and the fact that it's a bit bashed up is simply that it was still battered and damaged from that encounter. Um, it hadn't occurred to me that they might have cleaned it all up and then got it all battered again. And for me, Ockham's razor suggests that actually it's battered because it was battered at the angel at the end of Angels take Manhattan, rather than there being some mystery season six B lurking in there to to, to 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 rebatter it again.
0: No, I, I don't think so, because um, there were some scenes at the end of Manhattan that took place inside the TARDIS where the Doctor has a conversation with River about becoming a companion, basically. And there wasn't any allusion or reference to the fact that the TARDIS needed repairing on the inside. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I I do think there is a story to be told there. We've got to the end of our listener feedback now. But uh, if you remember, right at the beginning of this podcast, we were given the explanation um, for Leeson's absence from our review show. And uh, it was very up in the air as to whether or not he was able to to give us a review and actually let us know what he thought of the snowman. But uh, I'm pleased to be able to say, time Eddie's aside, Leeson's managed to locate his record button, and this is what he thought. Hello, uh,
2: Leeson Fisher here, uh, and the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed, well, will have noticed my absence from the Christmas review episode, and this was due again to me being stuck, stuck in an internet-generated time eddy. Uh, now, now, I struck a bargain with Eddie. Uh, we got on quite well as it happened, uh, and he has allowed me to appear on the feedback episode to give my thoughts on Doctor Who, the snowman last year's christmas special I, I I watched through a haze of uh, of booze and food, and I thought, oh, well, this is all right i'm never going to watch this again this year's Christmas special, I watched through a haze of booze and food and Well, where do we start? Well, the title sequence sobered me up. I I got such an adrenaline rush from the title sequence. It was all of the things I didn't know I wanted in a Doctor Who title sequence that we finally got. I I know I've not been entirely happy with with theme tunes um, so far since the show's come back. And I know I've not been entirely happy by title sequences since the show's come back. But I, I couldn't have told you what I wanted. But now I can tell you what I wanted, and that—that that is what I wanted. It, it was marvellous, and uh, and that got the show off to a to a to a winner, as far as I was concerned, straight off the bat. So into the actual story itself, I love the feel of it, and it's, it's in Moffat Christmas specials. They look, they look, they feel Christmassy. They look Christmassy. They seems to understand w- w- what makes a Christmas special. What makes Christmas? Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether it's the night shooting because it, uh, Christmas Carol was also uh, heavily night shot or, or made to look uh, as though it was. And I think I think that has a large part to play in. Uh, in making it feel feel Christmassy, some of some of the uh, the RTD ones, you get a lot of daytime, a lot of obviously plastic snow. Yeah, uh, you know, and there were scenes in this where there was obviously plastic snow. Certainly, where Matt Smith is holding the snow in, in in his hands, it's obviously plastic. But these things don't matter so much, so long as all of the other boxes are ticked. And for me, this did tick. All sorts of other boxes for me. And those boxes, in no particular order, are Dr. In a Long Coat. Excellent. I hope that's going to be the costume from now on. Quite like it. Quite like it. I can do without the hat. Or maybe the hat on and off might work. Uh, New TARDIS. New TARDIS just looks like um, what the BBC could have afforded in the old days. You know, if they could have afforded that. It's it's fabulous. Uh, It's it's not quite your white, clinical, Apple-like classic series TARDIS but it's as close as we're going to get you know in the world that TV is now and the way that TV has to be has to be has to be made uh it, it it's a wonderful thing it's a it's a it's a thing to behold It it is a near perfect TARDIS as far as I'm concerned I love battered old TARDIS outside why is it all battered what's happened oh that's marvelous there was even a CGI TARDIS in there which worked it worked for me so let's move on to the bits that I didn't like that's them over with. So on to Clara, Clara Oswin Oswald. Oh, she's brilliant. She looks good. She looks very good. She uh, character-wise, I like the way. I, I like the way this is going. Uh, I, I have no idea where this is going, but I like it. I like a mystery. I like a Moffat mystery. I like the fact that you know you want you want to have it all explained to you. You want. We wanted the Christmas special to explain what was going on with uh, Oswin. Uh, from the uh, Asylum of the Daleks, and uh, how it's going to be the new companion, and you know Moffat knows we want that. He knows we want that, and he knows that really we don't want to be told that. It's like it's like being told how a magic trick is done, uh, pen and teller. Uh, or, or there was a craze for for showing how magic tricks were done a long time ago, uh, and you know it's it's fun, but it's very short-lived funness. You know he could have he could have explained it all. Bosh! There we go. Christmas Day. This is the mystery. This is the answer. But where's the fun in that? The fun, the fun is the journey. The fun is the journey to the end point. And the show seems to be going in, in, you know, in a new and different direction. And if, if I may say so, I think this may have been where where RTD possibly went a little bit awry in his few years that he had uh, in control of the show. He didn't see the opportunity to to ch- to ch- change the show with the change of companion, uh, and you know. This is a wonderful opportunity, and Moffitt has taken it by the neck. Uh, and this is me, uh, Leeson Fisher, um, finishing my feedback. Uh, almost getting that adrenaline rush again from, from when I first saw the titles. I might have to go and look at, look at the titles again. How many times have you looked at the titles? Go on, be honest. It's a lot, isn't it?
0: Face! Face in the titles! Okay, so let me get this right, Leeson. You were absent from the last podcast. You were absent from this podcast. And yet you still managed to take up eight minutes of uninterrupted airtime. Hmm.
1: I think I might be doing something wrong here, Ian. He certainly seems to have a way with this. Perhaps we need to go and find our own time, Eddie, to try and sort of uh, sneak <laughs> our way into other casts quite possibly but uh, but in the meantime we're going to be back in the new
0: year with a whole load of exciting stuff. Uh, we've got a couple of interviews lined up for you. We're going to go through a short little mini series of what we class as burning issues. So these are going to be highly contentious fan issues. We've got three podcasts coming up in uh, in January. We've got our coverage from Gallifrey. I mean, we, at the time of recording,
1: Ian, we've got six weeks before we get on a plane and fly out to LA. How, how are you feeling about that? I, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be my, my first time going to something this size. So uh, it'll be very exciting. I'm looking forward to meeting lots of people there. Mm, Yeah, well, Michelle, uh, (laughs) not the least, hopefully.
0: And uh, it's going to be a wonderful celebration uh, event. So we'll be able to bring you our thoughts and our reviews of that event. But one of the most immediate things we're going to be discussing, and it's always anticipated by our listeners and indeed the DWP hosts themselves, are our predictions for the new year so we're going to be recording that over the next couple of weeks so plenty to look forward to on the Doctor Who podcast in 2013. Ian it's been a pleasure welcoming you back into the main part of the camper van and hopefully it won't be too long before
1: you come back or or, or are you really comfortable in the annex now? It's always nice to come up here the the annex is nice it would be nice if we could perhaps have some heating down there if we could perhaps uh, try and do a little whip round for a, a little heater that would be nice.
0: Well, it's going to get warm soon. You've only got a few months. Not much, not much point in investing all our money in heating. Just put a, put a coat on in. Put a coat on. And listeners, we'll be back with you in seven days' time. Five that was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening.
9: Take care. Wobbly buttocks.
6: Wobbly buttocks.
9: Wobbly buttocks.
6: Wobbly buttocks. buttocks.